Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ben Kitchings, the History Voyager. I'm here with Noah Martin. And we, air quotes, met this morning, and he wanted to talk to somebody about early radio. And I basically, metaphorically speaking, raised my hand because, and longtime listeners will know this, I have drawn many parallels in my own brain between early radio and podcasting. So, Noah. Why don't you kick it off? Sure. I mean, that's absolutely the right parallels to make. Uh, In college, I did a radio show, and something that we were taught over radio is some very, very basic podcasting. Now, by this point, I had already been interested in podcasting. But as I sat down and looked more at the history of radio and the communications between people um, and how it's changed over the years from, you know, printing press and verbal communication, nonverbal communication, uh, even the theatrophone is pretty interesting. All of that stuff eventually leading to the evolution of radio because people stopped wanting to sit in their cars or, you know, grab a FM player and turn it on. And instead, with the evolution of the Internet, I mean, we even see radio right now. You've got a iHeartRadio and Radio FM? Question mark if that's if that's a yeah, real thing. I, I think you've got Radio FM and iHeartRadio. I know I have uh, like two or three different, well, actually four different radio apps on my phone. Um, actually, actually, heck, five. Now that because I'm a fan of the Winnipeg Jets, the hockey team. Mm-hmm. So I, I I mainly keep up with them through the radio, which is through the NHL app. Um, and for some reason, I'm really strange. I don't know what this is, but maybe you can help me here. Um, I just prefer baseball on the radio. I for some odd reason, I just really prefer it on the radio. I don't know why, like what that's about. But yeah, it could be a number of different things. I mean, when it comes down to when it comes down to anything audio um, and even visual too, there's certain certain vibes that pass um, through a lot of the different forms of radio that you're listening to. Like the 1930s, um, you couldn't really get everything sounded very uh, tin can cardboard like. Um, and something about radio specifically, um, with the way that radio, you know, electromagnetic waves are in the first place, it makes it very endearing and it kind of helps if you're a creative and you enjoy theater of the mind stuff, it helps to be able to just listen on radio instead of watching it on the TV. The TV is so filled with ads and so many colorful things trying to distract from what's actually happening that, really sitting down next to a radio or turning it on in your phone or something. It just, well, it feels almost like a podcast and that's why podcasts came to become popular. You know, I had a conversation with a fellow podcaster two plus years ago at this point. And this fella had been doing it for, many years um 
I don't know if he's still on the air or on the internet or however you say that. Releasing shows, I guess, is what you'd say. Um, but he said to me, I asked him just as a throwaway question. I asked him, um, why do you think podcasting is so popular? And he said, because people, it's like people want to talk to their, to their friends. And so if you're having a chat, you, if it's amicable enough, people think you're, you're talking to friends. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's why YouTube stuff became so popular too. Like especially PewDiePie and Markiplier, Jacksepticeye, all of the gaming YouTubers or health and beauty YouTubers um, or vloggers because they feel more real when you have these corporatized um, television and radio entities that are focusing on, you know, impacting the story in a positive view for their brand. People kind of get tired of that. Like product placement is something that's not really an issue as much anymore, but I remember, you know, I, I, was born in 99. So growing up in the two thousands, that was something my friends and I would always point out like, Oh, there you go. There's a Pepsi can. Well, guess we know where they got their paycheck and, um, radio or, and podcasting Mm. is very, very indie, which makes it so, so much more lovable for audiences to listen to. Cause a lot of the times you can just pick up the podcast and start listening. Um, and it helps that, people have good personalities or interesting information or any of that stuff. But it also helps that a lot of the times podcasts are by normal people. And that's why you saw a rise in podcasting and YouTube and this kind of indie movement, even in the video game industry where Mm. kind of normal people are now able to put out the same type of work that a professional could. And it, yeah, great (laughs) i I got i gotta tell you man um there was a podcast uh called let's whine about murder it was w-i-n-e okay about murder and it was these two uh youngish ladies you wouldn't call them young ladies but i i think (laughs) um but they had known each other for forever Right, they had known each other for for forever, and so what it was was they would talk about it was an hour and a half or an hour long show, and they would talk about you know a murder or something. But the thing that was so cool wasn't them talking about the murder. The thing that was cool was the the first half of the show was that their little catch up. So what did you do today? Sort of thing. And it was so interesting. Their little stories. It was so cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I love this time as far as being able to find an audience and like that. Um, so where do you think we are in relation to the early days of radio? Where do you think we are on that continuum with podcasting? So if we look at history um, cyclically, um, Mm -hmm. then I would say that we're in a very nice revival of it. Because when you look at podcasting, you see that the stuff that's popular right now, 
talk shows and entertainment and comedy and audio dramas and horror and all of these different types of storytelling. It's very, very similar to when radio first became largely listened to in the late twenties and early thirties where, you know, by 1934 you had 60% of households um, that had a radio. And so there was a lot of people tuning in podcasting in the past two years alone since COVID has blown up. That's why you see massive companies like Spotify trying to get people to be on the Spotify platform only. Um, There's a lot of companies realizing that there's a lot of money in this. But the thing is, these corporate entities are not smart enough to be able to or capable enough to be able to produce content that matches the quality that indie content has. So instead, the way that they're finding to monetize is to essentially bankroll indie podcasters and well, radio. Sorry, go ahead. Well, the thing I was just going to and and you're right, but I was just going to maybe pivot your I have a sort of the same take except for it's different, which okay. Here's <laughs> Here's my so I'm I started on TikTok because basically because of a job. I mean, before I got before I don't know a couple months ago or a few months ago, I I was one of these people like get off my lawn about TikTok, you know, like whatever. Yeah. And and then I got on it and I was like, okay, I was under the understanding this was really for children. This is actually pretty cool, but the thing I like about it is okay. Like, my favorite creator on TikTok is actually this guy in Arkansas who works in the trades, and he plays characters on a job site, and it's hilarious. Hilarious. Um, But people like it because it's so obviously, it's so obviously just him. Like, it's, you know, there's no cast. You know what I'm saying? It makes him feel more real because he's a relatable person. Or like, so like I said, I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan, right? So when they had to pivot their radio show off radio onto a podcast for the, for this last NHL draft, that felt really cool. I don't know what their financials were, but that felt really, really cool because they could, they could be more personable. To, to the audience because they were just on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, right. it's got a lot to do with accessibility, um, especially for people of my generation, Gen Z. It's a lot easier for us to go onto YouTube and or Apple Podcasts or any of those places and pick up a podcast than it is to, honestly, the only place I actually have a radio is in my car. And I don't use the radio in my car. I just... Bluetooth my phone and listen to music through that because radio is imperfect um, because you have advertisements, you have ad breaks, you can't choose the music you want to listen to, or you kind of can choose the talk show you want to listen to, but you know, it's limited by region. And then also radio has to follow FCC guidelines and podcasting. If you really wanted to could just talk about some of the worst stuff. Now, you know, whether or not there's listenership for that is a whole other question, but yeah, 
podcasting is a new frontier. Just like radio was in the early 1900s, it's it's kind of undiscovered, and it's a place for creatives to be. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that strikes me is um, it how new podcasting is. Um, there's an episode that I recorded. Uh, I haven't released it yet, but I, I will. Uh, shout out to Mr. Ian Knowles of the Neon Shadows podcast. Um, if you've ever heard of that show, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. When I interviewed him about a year ago, he talked about how he was one of the only um, fictional podcasts on the air, or on the air, uh, on the internet, <laughs> basically, <laughs> and how Apple had to... Um, Almost invent a category. He had a really fascinating story a year ago about how Apple had to invent a category for him to be in. In the podcast space. Um, but that's how new it is. Because, I mean, and then he said, you know, there's the thing that I really hate is there's nobody around for me to ask questions. Like, there's no old timer for me to say, hey, I have a question. And I immediately thought, well, I mean, you're the future old timer. Exactly. You're blazing the trail now that others will follow. (laughs) You know, and, you know, I mean, and now, you know, a year later, there's, he's got company in that category, but, and, you know, quite a lot, actually. But apparently at one point he was the first. Well, I mean, the same thing happened for true crime about nine-ish years ago where mm. you've had murder mysteries, you've had, you know, detective shows, no war type stuff, but Serial ended up blazing the trail for true crime. And now looking around, I mean, if I searched up true crime on YouTube or any other podcatcher, I would immediately see a whole bunch of stuff. And if mm. I wanted a specific episode on like the Zodiac Killer or something, a lot of people have done that, but mm. nine, ten years ago, it didn't really exist. At least not in the not in the way that it does now. No, I, I totally agree. I totally, completely agree. It's like we're living in the future, um, and that's why I love being in the podcast medium and doing stuff here and talking with people and being on podcasts and doing my own because. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm my own boss. I'm my own, you know, I tell the stories. Um, That's Mm -hmm. what I do. Mm -hmm. And to me, like the thing, to me, like the thing that's really cool about podcasting, I mean, aside from the fact that it's just cool and I really like the podcast, I mean, you know, but the thing that's really cool about it to me is that it is so new that it's almost like you're making it up as you go along and like all of us together, everybody from Joe Rogan to Dan Carlin, to me, to you, to just, we're all kind of making this up as we go along, you know? And it's like I said on somebody else's show, they asked me like, why do you, consider yourself a history podcast still and i said well because you know we're standing on gutenberg's factory floor right 
Like we're sitting, all of us, on Gutenberg's factory floor, so to speak. You know, and that to me is just so cool. I mean, I have been doing a lot of rebranding and branding since I started a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. And something I've come to realize is I started off doing anthology stuff, very, very classic old time radio vibes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've kind of evolved into a modern old time radio. But I every week still post episodes that are like, you know, historical essays that go over certain parts of history and kind of discuss in quick snippets, or I'll do interviews, or, you know, I'll have a two or three hour long podcast of this is everything that happened from 1950 to 1955. And, or I'll discuss movies or video games or the current industry or podcasting tips. It's one of these things where, you know, my podcast kind of goes all over the place, but it's, Because in and of itself, the podcast is about storytelling. It's not about history versus true crime or any of those categories. It's about the stories that have happened or the stories that need to be told or are being told and then telling them. So I create short films too. And I, you know, go off and create as much content as I can, because for me, it's not about staying in your category and, being right there the whole time it's about being there and making the story yeah i I forget the i forget the current rock and roll hall of famer who and i'm sure lots of people have said this but one one lots of famous rock and roll folks have said this but someone actually said like labels were invented by the record label like (laughs) categories were invented by the record label or some some such and i mean i have a history podcast but if you scooch down my feed you'll see i've got i did a couple baseball shows i did i love to talk about the winnipeg jets i mean you know i i thought i had a lady come on and and talk about uh poverty i had a, a gentleman come on and talk about Poverty with children um, in Indiana, you know, just all sorts of shows that you couldn't go to a director. You couldn't go to a news director or to a a radio GM and say, hey, uh, you know, my cute little podcast about COVID 15th in the world. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. Well, why? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's an issue that television and radio um, have run into, because if you're the sports talk show radio, you're the sports talk show radio. That's why people are tuning in. But as you said earlier, what's more what's important with podcasting and modern media, at least, is that people aren't tuning in for a singular topic. They're tuning in for the person and that makes it uh it makes it easier to diverge and do other topics that you might be passionate about now audience members may or may not like those topics but the thing is it doesn't really matter because they're here for you and they might still stick around and watch the stuff they don't like as much because they like you and your personality so well i mean 
there's podcasters that I, they cover topics that fascinate me. And some of these podcasters are indie podcasters, like totally indie podcasters. So I'll like listen to them because they, they cover a his like they cover maybe a deep dive in history or say China history of China or, or something like that. But I mean, if they broke down and started talking about the history of spaghetti or whatever, I mean, I'd listen to that, you know, honestly, <laughs> but you know, um, so let's get back to the history of radio real quick. Um, so from the thir- in 1932, you said there was 60% of houses had a radio. 34, um, yeah. 34, 34. So when did it... Okay, so I think the first... One of the first radio broadcasts was uh, Pittsburgh, right? KDKA. And did I get those call letters right? K. Uh, let me see. Let me Google I, that. I probably did. But <laughs> let me, the that, call letters are always just interesting. They change a lot. All right. KDKA. CBS Pittsburgh. Ha ha. Got it. <laughs> I knew that was true. I knew I knew that. Um, let's see. Let's go. Uh... I know WSM in Nashville was a was kind of a um, you know like a an early one. So. Yeah, um, and there was uh, WLW or WQW, one of those from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, that was one of the first kind of radio drama ones in the twenties. Um, and then there's another one from a. I want to say New York, but, you know, it's just because it always happens in New York. Well, there's one in New York. I I can't. I know what you're talking about. WGY, New York. That's what it was. They were another kind of radio drama person. I think you're too young to know this, but. And you probably you might even be young enough for me to say back when cable was bigger. (laughs) <laughs> wires, wires, what you watched, wires, what you, you're crazy. I think WGW was a TV station. You could even watch like, like you could watch WTBS from Atlanta or, or WGN from Chicago. I know there was a, like a super station from New York that you could watch when I was a kid living in, living in Atlanta. Um, Yeah. So tell me about, okay, so when did radio go from 60% to nearly 100% or what percentage, do you know what percentage of houses have a radio now? I would imagine it's, if it's not 100, it's 99.9. Uh, I don't know the modern, because I feel like that's probably declined because I don't even have... I mean, I guess it depends what you consider radio, because if you consider an app that you can use to pick up radio frequencies, then, you know, I guess that's a radio Um, because it is it falls under the definition of a receiver for radio. But uh, Mm. it kind of depends on what you would consider um, the receiver. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe maybe now it's on the decline with certain certain young people kind of like people were cord cutters back in the day and 
I guess there's cord nevers, like people that never had cable. So, you know, but, uh, hmm. Yeah, I had cable for a little while. Um, I was right on the verge of, um, I had cable for uh, eight, nine years of my life. And then I was right on the verge at the beginning of Netflix and the decline of Blockbuster and family video and all that stuff. And so when we first got Netflix, it was life changing. Um, And now it's the normal, which, you know, when I was 15 years old, I said the same thing to my friends. I'm like, you know, we have Netflix now and everything's on Netflix, but this is such a lucrative deal that eventually everyone else is going to jump in and it's just going to feel like everything else. And I'm surprised to my 15 year old self because I was right. (laughs) Well, I mean... I was a cord cutter before that was even a word. I mean, I, I distinctly remember, I actually remember the moment, like, I was like, okay, I need to kill the cable bill, because this is just, no. Like, when 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 diners, drive-ins, and dives is, like, the best thing on the television, it's time to get, it's time to change what you're watching. Like, it's time to totally change how you watch what you watch. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, if it were up to me, I would probably never use a streaming service again or cable or any of that. I'd probably only ever watch YouTube and then listen to podcasts because those are my two main forms of media consumption. Really? Do you find that um, typical for folks your age? It really depends on um, what I think... Um, I, I guess it depends on how people are raised because it's still very common for people to kind of do the Netflix binge watch mm-hmm. where you get a streaming service and you just watch it and you just watch it for hours upon hours on end. Um, but for me, I never really had interest in that. Now I watch TV shows and I watch movies and I do all of that, but it, when I have the ability to sit down and relax, if I'm not you know, playing games or working on some of my creative endeavors, I'm probably watching YouTube because, yeah. So I know my friends, um, my personal friend group, they are TikTokers. And so the time that I spend watching videos on YouTube, they spend watching videos on TikTok. Um, But even then, like, we don't really watch that much. I think my friend group likes... How I Met Your Mother and probably that 70s show or Full House, one of those. Mm. And then they never, they don't watch anything else. As far as like, here's something I noticed uh, about myself. Um, And talking to both my, what I call, I guess my in-person friends. So the the people I I know in my town or, or whatever, but also I have a lot of, friends that I know virtually through, you know, because of this podcast or because of Twitter or whatever. And the the thing I keep hearing is that before the pandemic, I liked these certain shows, like these certain fictional shows. And then after the pandemic, I just, I don't care. Like fiction just has no, you know, hold over me or whatever and i'm like yeah i totally get that i you know i completely understand that it's like 
once you've been through something like this, it's like, I don't, why do I want to see their, me- their f- made up mess when I can just remember, you know, whatever happened? Yeah. I mean, for me, I guess it depends on the person. For me, the fiction tends to be an escape, um, especially because, you know, I had a lot of mental issues in high school um, that I didn't know how to do, how to deal with and uh, sort out. And so for me, the way to escape my problems was to read comic books and to watch TV, well, movies specifically, and realize that, you know, generally, if you're running away from a monster or a, you know, Jason and he wants to saw you in half or something, then that problem's a little bit worse than somebody calling you stupid in high school. Or, you know, if the world's going to be destroyed by some intergalactic threat and you're a bunch of teenagers who are dealing with high school and being superheroes, then, you know, my problems don't seem quite as bad. And it's a nice right. little escape. Um, but also, really for me, it's just the storytelling because if there were something like that in nonfiction, which there is sometimes, um, then as long as I can relate to it and identify with it or understand it at least, then I will enjoy that equally as much. Um, I especially love, I love historical stories of Kings or princes or knights or any of the kind of more, elite and wealthy throughout history and watching them take crumbling civilizations and fix it or doing the opposite, taking civilizations that are crumbling and putting the final nail in the coffin because it just, it helps keep myself, my mind at least real and realizing that, you know, my problems are bad or what's happening to me is good or any of that stuff. And then comparing it to what people have already done in life. It's like surreal. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so you said you don't have a radio, um, other than your car. Um, I, and I, I of course know and understand it. I mean, I, I don't listen to the radio at all, except in the morning while, you know, while I'm eating breakfast or something. Um, but I don't listen to the radio and, you know, maybe I'll listen to a game or something, but then I can listen to that on my phone. So, um, I'm trying to remember the last time I actually turned on the radio when I wasn't eating breakfast and I, I can come up with maybe two or three weeks ago, I was listening to a game, but other, other than that, um, yeah. So, but your friends, um, are they pretty much non-radio phone listeners? Uh, yeah, I have one friend who is a huge fan of NPR and anytime, anytime we drive together, the radio is on NPR and we're listening to that. But other than that, I mean, at this point, we just connect our phones and would rather listen to podcasts or music. Uh, Even when we go on large car rides or car trips together, the phones are connected and somebody's controlling the Spotify playlist. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me ask, because I've also wanted to talk to a younger person about society. Um, So what do you see... 
going on and and what are some challenges that you see that are gonna that by the time you're like in your 50s you're really looking down the road and you're thinking okay that's gonna crop up so i graduated college uh four days ago today's thursday yeah four days ago on sunday and so the thing that is just very evident to me is I was very lucky enough. I was able to start a business and get clients who want me to be their audio video editor. Um, but that's because I've worked for five years on my own skills and as hard as I can. Um, college did not teach me anything. Uh, it When I needed an internship or else I wouldn't graduate, they didn't teach me how to network and reach out to people and get an internship. Uh, Luckily, my dad was there to help me and say, hey, this is how you do it. And so the entire time I was in college, I was pretty much being shot in the foot. And so I went off and taught myself generally. Um, I started taking online classes and then COVID hit and I took more online classes. Um, And so I think... 30 years down the line, you're going to see a lot of people who have been told you have to go to college. Um, And a lot of people, even now we're starting to see it, who go to college and then say, cool, now, now what? I've just lived 22 of my 22 years of my life, just so full of structure that now with no college, and nothing to really look forward to. I got a degree in, you know, education or political science or philosophy. And now I can't do anything with it because there aren't jobs available for it. And nobody's interested in me, even though I have the piece of paper that says they should be interested in me. So I think what we're going to see is a huge shift away from college um, because my generation is going to grow up realizing that we don't have any jobs and we'll then tell our kids to try something else. Well, it's not just your generation. It's also the millennials and even a little bit with the Gen X. I really honestly think one of the things that really troubles me about what, what I call the, like this post liberal arts college world that we think we're moving into or that we are moving into or whatever Um, One of the things that deeply troubles me about the rhetoric around this is a lot of this rhetoric is taught, is told by people who already went to college, right? And so they know they're smart enough to engineer their way into the workforce. But what happens when you take middle schoolers or you take elementary kids and you start telling these elementary kids from the start by the time you get out of here you have to be marketable what happens with that i mean i don't know but i i totally think you're right i absolutely think you're right so there's certain things um because my public school experiences are still very fresh in my mind and my college experience are very, very fresh in my mind. Um, I was told growing up that college is the way to go. That's what you're doing. And so that's what I did. (laughs) Um, But after going through college, specifically focusing on a degree that has a large chunk of communications, 
a lot of stuff that I learned through college, specifically from my own life that I had to do, is not taught, and especially at younger ages, and especially with the way, you know, the rise of social media in the past 10 years, how it's addicted people and cell phones and all that. I don't want to sound like one of those 90-year-old people saying, social media is bad and all of that, but it does have its negative it does have its negative aspects. And so what we're going to see is a generation that's, and I'm not too sure yet because of, we got to wait a little bit longer to see what the trend does, but we're either going to see a generation that says, all right, we shouldn't be on our phones as much. I would rather you guys go out and play. I'll get you a phone or whatever, but you know, we'll see parents who are okay with their kids having technology and having phones, but still really, really encouraging be out being outside um, because they know what it's like to grow up and basically miss a childhood. Or you're going to see a bunch of parents who are going to encourage playing video games, being on your phone constantly versus, you know, running around and playing on the playground. And something that needs to change in school is first off communication. If we go in a way that, uh, if we go in a way that students are constantly on their phones and everything you do is connected to the internet, which is everything I do is connected to the internet. When I wake up at eight o'clock, I do a quick workout, I bake breakfast, and then by nine o'clock, I am on my computer working and I'll probably go till 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. And that's just because of my own drive and work ethic, but that's a lot of screen time. So I'm thinking what we're going to see or what I would love to see uh, change is communication where we teach kids what it means to do interpersonal communication or intrapersonal communication, how to actually talk with people and look at each other in the eye. Um, The thing that I grew up with Mm. in college that just bothered me, I took a public speaking class where it was online until you had to give the speech and then you showed up, gave it to a bunch of people you never met and then you leave. Okay, and that was wait, one of the, wait, wait, sure. not to interrupt, but something just occurred. Something hit me upside the head as we say in the South. Um, let's fix this in terms of history. So your freshman year of college was 2018. Yes. I'm doing the math. Okay. So yeah, by that point you were you still you already had okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then COVID hit and okay, sure. And COVID hit when you were a junior in college? Yep. Okay. All right. Okay. I tell you the thing, I've wondered this and you're such a recent graduate, maybe you can help me out here. Um I've wondered if you actually have kids going to college specifically for the high-speed internet so they can take some of these online courses uh, that teach them actually like coding or something like that. And they're just doing college classes almost as a cover so that, but they're at night they're, they're learning coding or, or whatever, you know, but using the high-speed internet for, through the university to do that. That is definitely something that happens um, because I did Columbus State for two years, which is a community college. And then I transferred to a four-year college. And for the first two years in that community college, all the computer labs were always full. 
And generally it was parents, um, people going back to college, or it was young people who were like, I don't know where I want to go to college. And most of them were taking classes they wanted to take, and they were learning things they wanted to learn. And so because of that, they were actually at school. They were actually actively pursuing knowledge and pursuing the knowledge that they cared about. So what I've seen from, I, I mean, as much as I don't like college and institutional, you know, institutional education, Columbus State, um, or at least community colleges that have put their money into their professors and teaching good knowledge, um, I love, just absolutely love. And so the change from a community college where people, you know, were ready to move, like they see it as a transitionary period between two colleges. But there was so much desire to learn and to be there. And everyone was so talkative and everyone cared about each other. And like, it was just an atmosphere I wasn't used to after high school. And then when I got to Otterbein, my private liberal arts school, everyone was so negative. Nobody wanted to be in classes. They're like, oh my God, why am I getting this degree? This is so stupid. This is a waste of my time. And so I think it's at least community college is kind of replacing your library where, you know, Westerville, where I live, has a very good library. But people go there. Generally, they go there to work after college if they don't, because uh, we've got the college right inside the heart of the town. Um, but mm-hmm. in general, I think community college are starting to sprout up and replace at least libraries, um, not for the sense of trading out books, but for the sense of going somewhere to get education. Um, because, you know, I've seen all the old 1980s movies where people are like, go to the library and you have the nerd who's reading books the whole time. And I've never, ever in my life encountered anyone like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think you know, I, uh, it's funny cause I had a pod somewhere down, somewhere way down my feed. There's actually a podcast I did where I talk about. There was, there's a trope in, in film where it's in a horror movie usually where the it's usually always a woman or a group of women will go to the library and, and look up the monster in the small town where they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the last time I saw this in a movie was 1995 or 6, and it was 7, the movie 7. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> You know, um, right. Honestly, like, um, well, it, I mean, 2017 I, had it, but what I'm talking about was, um, what I'm talking about is like, do you have kids enrolling in, cl- enrolling in college so they can get access to the high speed internet so like they can, uh, like Google offers courses, like Google offers courses in coding. To, for example, to take those kinds of courses, or I mean, I, I don't know. I've I've had that thought. So, yeah, and, and like I said, it's a it's a little bit of both. But also keep in mind that when you enroll in college to learn about that type of stuff, um, actually, yeah. if you're uh, doing a different degree and you want to learn coding as you're doing your degree in college, is just the excuse. You can do that. It might be your hobby or your passion or whatever. But why do that when Starbucks, McDonald's, pretty much anywhere at this point um, offers free Wi-Fi or at least 
Wi-Fi where uh, you come in and buy something and that's it. Like I've got a friend who never went to college, um, but she was fortunate enough to be able to get um, basically one to two years of college free online. So what she would do was go into Panera, buy a coffee early in the morning, spend all day working and studying at Panera, and then leave because Mm -hmm. her internet connection was not capable of holding Zoom calls or watching videos or any of that stuff. And so, Mm. you know, it's one of those things with college is the price tag just to get internet is not really worth it. Um, compared to all the other places that offer it for free. Or yeah, cheap. I don't, I don't know. I just had this thought because I know, I, I mean, believe me, I know college is massively expensive, and increasingly, it's there's fewer and fewer jobs where it's actually useful. worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, but I don't know. I mean, it it does teach you fundamental, like, okay, so I ran this podcast on COVID. And I had the research background from my background in political science and history and things like that, that I could read and I could read abstracts that they were putting out about COVID, like in Singapore or wherever, right? So, I mean, it it does provide fundamentals as far as understanding research and how to think critically and like that. Um, So. I think that's worth it, but I don't know if it's worth it for the price. Yeah. Well, for the price, no, but it, it, it's true. That's what I keep telling people um, when they go into their freshman year or they're contemplating college is you go to college. If you care about broadening your horizons, college taught me philosophy, ethics, sociology, histories, like especially ancient Eastern history, where I would, probably not have been interested to learn by myself, but ended up being really interesting subjects I care about. And without college, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have really changed as a person, but also, you know, your twenties is a very developmental time. Um, when it comes down to it, what I did, what I learned I could have just gone to a trade school, been out by the time that I got my associate's degree from community college and been working on my field for the past two years. But I cared about broadening my horizons. So, Well, that's, I mean, so getting back to what I was originally saying with the, about this subject is that's the thing that, that troubles me is the people that I read and the people that I hear and the people that say we're going to move into a post-liberal arts world, or we, we have done that, or we will do that further, already themselves have college degrees. And I know from experience, it's a lot easier to reverse engineer something because you have the intellectual gravitas and the confidence in your own thinking to be able to reverse engineer something than it, w- than it is to be like 16 and in, in this whole new world that nobody knows about, right? Yeah. That's the thing that troubles me is I heard this on a podcast or maybe I had a guest say it or I don't remember. It could have been in my podcast, but somebody told it to me, okay? And what they said was the thing about technology is that Whereas before you had the old people teaching the young people, 
And that's just how it was. Well, now you have the young people teaching the old people. <laughs> and how sustainable is that? Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, I look at it kind of as an exchange of ideas as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, I, I definitely don't think that the old people are the ones who are just consistently wiser than me probably have better life experiences than I do. And I'd be able to learn from that. But you know, there's times where I'm just, it's especially bad because the liberal arts college I went to this sidetrack real quick is full of old people. And all of my professors are 60, 70 or older. Um, and so they've been out of the market for a long time. Um, cause most of them became professors and did that for 10, 20, maybe 30 years. And so the fields that they're teaching about, they're not proficient in anymore. Um, and so, so they're not learning the new thinking is what you're saying. Like they're not exactly. Learning. Okay. And so they're teaching you the wow. old thing and then they become useless and obsolete. Like looking back okay. on college, we had, this is so stupid. I've got a minor in audio engineering. Um, and so for okay. one of my classes to get the minor, I had to take a music business class. Now this had nothing to do with running a audio engineering business that had everything to do with being a piano teacher and running a business. Uh, but it was required for my course, which, you know, I understand liberal arts college, well-rounded, blah, 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 whatever, but it was useless for me. And one of the people who came in was a 30 year veteran in the industry. Um, and so students were asking him questions. What's your website? The guy goes, Oh, well, I was just able to do word of mouth and I've been doing it for the past 30 years. I've not even ever made a website. Do you have a LinkedIn? No, I don't have a LinkedIn. I've not needed to network because I just call people. Okay, well, um, do you have any contacts I'd be able to use or anyone who'd be uh, like any of that? And they just go, oh, uh, well, I mean, you know, my best advice is to go to schools and ask. And you're like, wow. well, no shit, you know, because I've wow. done that. <laughs> I've done that already. You're yeah. 30 year yeah. And so since technology is progressing so, yeah. so fast, there are people who've been in the industry for so long to the point where technology at that time was not as essential as it is now. So I think what yeah. we're seeing right now is a strange upset, but it's going to eventually revert back to the old teaching the young once, you know, these first couple generations of people raised entirely on technology get to an older age and then can teach younger people how to do their jobs with technology. Because I've got people teaching me how to do my job without technology. People who are still using tape for their audio engineering, which has been irrelevant for gosh, 15, 20 years at this point um, compared to, yeah. Like compared to, when we're when we're talking tape, are we talking magnet? Are we talking magnetized tape or digital tape? Because if you're talking magnetized tape, Jesus, you might even be going. You might even be going into the nineties with that. As far as yeah, you, you well, know. so that's where yeah. um, Avid and those products started coming out, right? It was mid mm-hmm. to late nineties, mm-hmm. and so up until that point, that's mm-hmm. where. Because generally, you had to buy the massive, massive boxes that were capable of mm-hmm. editing. 
Um, and so it was a huge expense for a lot of people. And so it took a while for that to catch on. But with the turn of the century, that's where you start seeing the change to computers and all of that. Oh, and so, God. I remember. Hmm. 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 I remember um, talking to this, you know, old time television veteran um, who was very elderly when I knew him 20 something years ago. And he had fascinating stories about, you know, people figuring out how to do television, literally how to do it. But that's impressive. No, he was, uh, I, I could talk to you. I could talk your ear off off air about this, some of these <laughs> some of these people. But, uh, yeah. Um, but the other thing I was going to say was, during that same period of my life, I I had met this man, also elderly, who had worked in Chicago in the newspaper business. And he talked about, he would talk all the time about stories about the Chicago newspaper business and things like that. And, you know, again, you're, you're figuring out how to do a major distribution network for newspapers. And it strikes me that we're always trying to figure something out. The difference is now we're figuring out faster. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, one of the things that I figured out, um, because growing up, I kind of felt like everything had already been discovered, especially in the information age that we're in right now, where everything I want is at my fingertips. You know, if I wanted a new microphone, I could buy it and have it to me by tomorrow. Um, It, in my mind, was like, everything's been done. Everything's already been thought of, all of that. And I think there's a lot of other people out there that were like me where we kind of lose that creativity and realize that, oh, there's nothing else out there to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so they become a little bit complacent in society or with where they are and they don't strive for learning, for renovating ideas that have already been out there. Um, You know, you'll see a lot of political activism, but then you never see it. Uh, or you see it on a much, much smaller scale when it comes to technology or um, anything that's not really political, honestly. Um, and so that was something that I've learned, uh, or at least taught myself, is that I'm, I, I mean, going back to our podcasting thing, we're trailblazers. We are the cowboys in the Wild West. We're, um, you know... We're astronauts in space. We're deep sea divers in the ocean. Um, See, I we don't are... even think, so going back to the analogy here, I don't think we're so. I have a master's in history. And beyond that, for better or worse, I, I love history. So I've studied history a lot, even after college. And the thing I think we are is I don't even think we're the cowboys or the astronauts. I think we're the thing before the astronauts. So I don't think we're Orville and Wilbur Wright. Right? Okay. But I do think we're maybe the first jet pilots. (laughs) Or maybe (laughs) the first uh, 
the first propeller uh, jet, the first propeller planes that took people long distances. That's where I think we are in the analogy because I've talked to futurists on my show, like people plugged into the future. There's going to be some insanely incredible stuff that happens in five or ten years with this stuff. Well, I mean, yeah. Wow. Look at virtual reality right now. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, who was it? It was Verizon, Samsung, something like that. Some big tech company that is not Google um, just patented a uh, lens, a contact lens that is a it's like google glasses um it connects you to the internet and it's powered by the salt in your eye and your tears which is ridiculous and i'll give 10 more years 20 more years of that type of development um it's like augmentations and enhancing human abilities it's going to become a reality i mean maybe in 10 more years you and i would be able to meet Maybe not in the metaverse, but in something that does what the metaverse does. Because I don't know if Zuckerberg is going to make the metaverse. Uh. But some somebody's going to make that. Somebody somewhere is going to do what that is. Somebody is definitely going to make that. I mean, we've actually seen yeah. uh, the first steps laid down, at least in my mind, with something like Roblox, which. Roblox gets its rep, you know, some people love it, some people don't, you know. What is uh, so tell so I'm I'm older than you. Tell <laughs> me what Roblox is. So it was devised in the late nineties, um, and became popular in the mid twenty tens. Essentially what it is is Legos, where they're the programmers have created the infrastructure for other programmers to come in and make games. And mm. so um, and it's a very blocky, very Minecraft style to it. Um, hence why I say Legos. But basically, the, it, it's it's impressive. It's ridiculously impressive because they made the sandbox and then everyone else is coming in and making the toys. And so what I think we're going to see is a metaverse set up like that. Um, I don't think it's going to be Zuckerberg's unless he does some huge changes, especially because he's got bad rap with it right now, at least in my friend group, we all think it's just laughable compared to what other people are doing. I don't um, think so. I don't think business application wise, like if I had a, if I had a business and if I were even remotely successful, like even <laughs> just slightly successful, I would not, I would not want any part of the metaverse at all. I would, I would go the opposite direction from that as fast as I could honestly um why is that privacy concerns mm, that's privacy, a good point privacy concerns and also so i promote my podcast on facebook i don't do it as much as i used to um because because once you get off the garden variety the garden path of like your friends and your relatives and stuff right and you get into some of these groups, it's it's a sewer. It's an absolute sewer. I had to take WhatsApp off my phone because I kept getting calls as a podcaster. I kept getting calls from really sketchy people. So I just took WhatsApp off my phone. So I'm not going to 
trust the metaverse run by Zuckerberg for anything, like anything at all. It's just not happening. Yeah, I I don't trust his uh, security, and that's something that mm-hmm. we're going to see um, going to see change a lot because since social media has become so like it's been around for 20 years, but it rose to prominence in the past 10 years. And so legislation takes forever. And so what we're going to see is they're, they're kind of getting to it now. Um, but we're going to see a lot of legislation passed that will change things like radio in the early days was very, very, uh, controlled by the companies. Um, like the story of the Titanic where mm-hmm. they where companies, when they sell you equipment, the equipment was tuned to certain frequencies. And so there was a ship close to the Titanic, but they used different companies for their radios. And so Titanic sinks because they can't communicate with the other ship. Government sees this in America and says, we need to regulate this. So that way this never happens again. Um, Something that a friend of mine brought up recently, which is kind of mind blowing to me is Wi-Fi and internet access as a right, because it's, you know, something where you can have it for free or for as cheap as possible. Um, yeah, we saw how that went with the medical industry. But the idea is, especially with what happened with COVID, where people are working from home. My dad, who worked in nine to five for 25 years, uh, he flipped jobs, went to this other job, was going into the office. COVID hits and now he still works from home. And he gets up, he takes the dog for a walk, he goes for runs, he has a really loves his life, and his happiness is so much more, and he's a much better productive worker. Well, if you have society going in that direction, but internet access is not widely available, what you're going to do is start, well, start, continue marginalizing communities that cannot access the internet. And ultimately, it's better for companies to you know, give free internet access and a computer instead of, I don't know, flying people across the United States for one giant convention with hotel rooms and food and all of that. When instead you can say, log in at 3 p.m. and we'll sit here for an hour and talk online and that's it. I'm kind of with you. Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. But the thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see so... I'm I'm at heart I'm a researcher um even still I don't know so uh Elon Musk uh talks up his satellite internet situation I don't know if that's going to work at scale right I don't know if that's going to work at scale for the whole globe that's not saying I don't think it will it's saying I don't know because there's to me, like it's like if you go to the mall, right? If I go to the mall or to a to a big stadium, right? The Wi-Fi might go down, or there might be too many uh, people on the cell network for for me to get a signal, right? Okay. So, but they're gonna have to figure out a way to get internet, you know, into remote areas in this country for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, for sure. And that brings up a question that has been plaguing the world for 20 years or so um who has the right to the internet because as of right now all of your internet servers are 
owned primarily by Amazon, Google, and the big tech giants. But the thing is, you have somewhere like China where they own their own internet and they can monitor and block anything they want to. And so So, it runs into this huge issue of if the government regulates it, that is so much power and it's so much easier for them to spy on you if the companies regulate it. Exactly. I mean, (laughs) it's a double-edged sword. I don't even know what I would like to see. And I don't even know if this is technically possible. But what I would like to see is that if everybody could have their own like lunchbox size internet node, right? And you could just take it with you, okay? And that's your internet, right? And there's no Google. There's no Google looking over your shoulder. There's no Amazon looking over your shoulder. There's no, you know, whatever. There's there's none of that. It's, It's your open source, you know, secure internet that you can go in and out of, right? Now, okay, yeah, you have bad actors. You have whatever you you know bad people blah 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 so okay i i get that i'm on board you know sure but the more i think about the internet especially now because so in my little in my little twitter bubble right the thing we're working through is like so we're all adults and here we are using this thing designed for young people as adults and we're trying to do like adult productive stuff on it, like Twitter and like Facebook, right? But it's like, so we're working through some of the philosophical issues of that as we're doing this. Yeah, I mean, it's something your experiences with Twitter and learning how to use it is my experiences with talking to people. And learning how to hold a conversation looking someone in the eye. Um, You know, where areas where you're strong, I'm probably weak. And areas where I'm strong, you might be weak. And it's, I don't know, I think it just differs from person to person. I'm just so much of an individualist anyways. (laughs) That I, I think it differs a lot from person to person. But ultimately, at the end of the day, that's why we're different people. Is because... You know, we have different strengths and different worries and different th- different things that matter to us. Like, I don't know if this coming generation is going to care about safety and privacy on the Internet, because a lot of the times it doesn't affect them. Um, even if somebody steals your information, like they can blackmail you or that type of stuff. But from my friends and from the amount of times my data has been leaked in breaches I don't, I don't know. I, I've never had that type of experience. Um, well, and so, so from speaking as an adult, right. That has, I don't think I've had my data leaked in an actual breach, whatever, but I, I well, actually I have. Okay. I have not recently, like not while I had a podcast, but before, Right. So speaking as an adult, all this all this talk about how, oh, this generation doesn't care about privacy. Yeah, the reason they don't care about privacy yet is because like they don't have to 
Like they don't have things they want to keep from someone else, be it an employer or maybe relatives or whatever, right? So, like, in, as an adult, you're going to have a boss or something that, like, your boss doesn't think like you do about all about some issues, right? So, you might not want your boss to see who you date or, like, you wouldn't want to have your credit card number out. out. Like, you wouldn't take a picture of your credit card. And just put that on the internet. Although people have, and they got their numbers stolen. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's, to me, it's like you have to work through, okay, don't take a picture of your credit card and put it on Facebook. Don't take, you know, don't. Um... That's the driver's license picture thing where teenagers were getting their driver's license and smiling, holding up their driver's license and then doxing themselves because the information that's on there. Or don't like, don't, um, when your kid gets born, like when you have a kid, don't put your kid's first, middle and last name on the internet. Like, don't do that. Like, God, don't do that. No, 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 no. Um, don't, uh, what's another one? Um, so I wouldn't put, um, I knew somebody who never put pictures of their, uh, significant other with them on Facebook. Like they, and it wasn't cause whatever, it was just cause they thought, well, I don't want people to know. It's not that they thought like they were ashamed of it or whatever, but it's like, that's a wall of privacy. That's yep. like, you know, the whole inner, the whole world doesn't need to know that we're together or whatever i think um what we see within the next couple years whatever legislation is passed whichever way we decide to go if we decide that internet is you know the government's um problem that they have to work with and everyone one of my biggest worries is that um, government sees the opportunity to use this as the social security number or something like that, where you're assigned a username at birth that, you know, applies to everything you do on the internet, kind of like China where you're assigned a number and then your privacy is just immediately gone. Um, but then you have the opposite where corporations know who you are and your passwords and any of that anyways, and they're acting maliciously, then the internet is one of these things where it's still for as developed as it is, it's still so undeveloped when it comes to humanity. See, um, I'm, not, I'm not worried about like as an American. Okay. Cause we're both Americans here. I'm not worried that the government will hand us the government will hand somebody's child, uh, a username and a login at birth. I'm not worried about that. Cause I don't think that'll happen. What I'm worried about is like what already happens now where you have people posting, creating cutesy little Facebook accounts for their baby, right? But the baby's going to grow up, right? Yeah. Or what's another one? Um, I'm trying to think it's I'm blanking, but there's one that happens. And every time I see it, I'm like, eh, I wouldn't do that. People don't, don't be doing that. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, don't. Okay, now because a phone number is so important, like your phone number is super important, and you probably know that because you're a Zoomer, right? <laughs> but trust me here. In the last twenty years, phone numbers have dramatically increased in importance to the point where I actually think we're going to have to move away from phone numbers as a primary means of communication with each other. Because like, I'm already starting to have the thought, I don't know that I want to give that person my phone number. Like, I don't know that I want to give that organization my phone number or that whatever my phone number. <laughs> right. Cause there's all kinds of things you can do with a phone number. And I don't use my phone number anymore. Like I, I do when it comes to my friends. Um, but in general, people I meet online, uh, friends I make online don't have my phone number. Even if we play video games every single day or talk with each other every day or have met each other in person, they probably don't have my phone number. First off, because it's just not what I use to communicate anymore. I'd rather use something like Discord than, you know, than my phone number. Um, but also, you're right, for phone numbers have become increasingly more important and personal. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just... Excuse yeah. me. Um, I, I take that to heart um, when it comes to privacy of others. Uh, especially, I had a class in my degree that was focused on media law and libel and defamation and all of that stuff. Um, and specifically, since it's the modern era, we went over what it means to be, or sorry, um, where you can record, what you can and can't record, and all of that stuff, and what states you're able to um, record conversation as long as one person's consenting, which would be the person recording, and any of that stuff. Um, and yeah. I work a lot with kids. I've done theaters, uh, or I've done theater directing. I've been refing soccer for the past 10 years. Um, I just, I work a lot with kids. And one of the thing is I've seen my fellow employees or, you know, my peers will take a picture of the group of everyone and them all smiling. They had a great time, a great time at summer camp. Um, and then they'll post online like, wow, this was an amazing time. Had a great time, blah, blah, blah. Um, but for me, absolutely will not post anything with anyone under the age of 18 um, because of, you know, they're not consenting adults. And so yeah. it's a breach of their own privacy because if my post about how amazing summer camp was directly interferes with their future life, then I can be held for that. And also I don't have any reason to post pictures of kids with other people because got yeah, creepy people out there. And also I don't care. <laughs> Well, also like one of the, so one of the first rules that I decided for myself with this podcast was I wouldn't talk to people under the age of, um, you know, like 18 or so, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Absolutely. And I, I just decided that real quick, like um, before I even started talking, it was like, no, because like you, you just, I mean, you don't know what somebody's going to twist into something and you don't know who that is. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But, well, and 
even just from a respectable standpoint of growth and development, if I, if I were my 18 year old self looking at where I am now, like, I mean, I've changed religions, I've changed political beliefs, I've changed knowledge, I've changed so much about myself in over the course of college alone. And from high school, 14 to 18 years old, I was changing monthly um, my beliefs because I kept learning more and more and more and changing it. And so if I were to, I mean, I guess I started recording podcasts when I was 17, but it was, you know, it was scripted stuff that I had written myself Um, and it wasn't expressing my ideas. And that's one of the things about what I do um, with my content is I could hardly care less um, people's political opinions because I've met so many people everywhere on the spectrum and growing up, um, I was in high school during the 2016 election. And so saying anything on either side around any of the other teenagers was a death wish. Um, cause it was just so hateful from the amount of content that we consumed, um, and just the bias content that we consumed. Well, thank you, Noah. Thank you for those words and those thoughts and you're right it's totally crazy 2016 and i can't even imagine what it would have been like as a teenager in high school in 2016 i look forward to having you back on the show and i'm sure it'll be very interesting to talk about that um anyway folks like i always say i'm having a good day and i hope you are too all right bye-bye